Hello, everyone. Thank you for listening to WEC Connects. Welcome to the seventh episode. My name is Claudia Belloso, and I am the Student Services Manager at Washington English Center. Today, we welcome Andrea Barron, Advocacy and Outreach Program Manager at Torture Abolition and Survivor Support Coalition. TASK is dedicated to aim to end the practice of torture wherever it occurs and support survivors as they empower, empower themselves, their families, and communities wherever they are. Andrea Barron has managed task advocacy and outreach programs since November 2013. She works closely with survivors to educate policymakers about human rights policies toward countries whose governments tortured survivors and on other issues that affect them, such as the asylum backlog. Thank you, Andrea, for joining us uh, today. TASK has been working tirelessly to end the practice of torture and support survivors. Can you provide an overview of the various programs and initiatives offered by TASK to achieve these goals? Sure. So um, let me first say a little bit about TASK when it was founded. It was founded in 1998 by Sister Diana Ortiz, who is an Ursuline nun. Uh, she was Mexican-American. She was tortured in Guatemala in 1989 by the Guatemalan military. And when she came back from Guatemala, she wanted to establish an organization to support torture survivors, but also where the survivors themselves played a big role in making the organization function. So every director that we've had since then has also been a survivor. And as part of the advocacy program, I work very, very closely with survivors. So that's an important part of our mission. So we provide uh, social services, legal services, and we have the advocacy program that I lead. Um, many survivors come in. Um, they were incredible human beings. They were uh, people that came from, mostly of them are very well educated. They took enormous risks to stand up for freedom and democracy, to challenge dictatorships in their country, uh, expose government corruption. They did not have to do that. They chose to do that because they wanted to make their countries better. We also have a small population of people from the LGBT uh, community who come from very homophobic countries where they were persecuted just because of their sexual orientation. So those are our survivors. Some come and they are still suffering from the physical and the psychological wounds of torture. So many of them need mental health counseling uh, that we provide and also we refer them to medical doctors who can help treat their injuries and document their injuries for their asylum. Uh, for example, we have some survivors who are uh, survivors of female genital mutilation. Uh, and again, about 95% of our survivors are from Africa, Ethiopia, Eritrea, Cameroon, a few from Sudan, Uganda. So there is a high prevalence of female genital mutilation in Eritrea and Ethiopia. So um, those, they will be uh, referred to uh, doctors and to medical care. And um, we also can refer them to psychiatrists when needed. Uh, the legal program, uh, is very important. All our programs are important, but um, almost all our survivors are applying for asylum, and they are the classic um, kinds of people who apply for asylum, which means they have a well-founded fear of persecution because of race, religion, nationality, 
political opinion, or membership in a particular social group. Um, almost all of them are applying based on their political opinion, being they oppose a dictatorship, and some on their ethnicity within their country, and a small number, as I, I mentioned, from the LGBT community. So um, the asylum process is very important. We have pro bono uh, asylum lawyers. Many of our survivors have outside lawyers, uh, but they still come to task for some of our other services. Um, I can say the most about my program because that's the advocacy program. Mm -hmm. And what makes TAS distinct from the other torture treatment programs in the United States is that the survivors are involved directly in the advocacy, which means that we organize them to and train them to go to have meetings in the U.S. Congress with congressional aides to speak about the issues that they care about. They're prepared very, very well. Uh, these are private meetings. There's only the aide, the team coordinator, and them. They're not recorded. Um, we don't want to put people in danger. Some of them are worried that there would be repercussions for their families. And right now, we have several different initiatives. Um, the biggest one is called the asylum backlog issue. So um, our survivors are affirmative asylum seekers, which means they entered the United States legally with visas. Um, they cannot get interviewed by USCIS, the US Citizenship and Immigration Services. They will not interview them. So they have been waiting seven, eight years. They cannot get an interview. It's an example of forced family separation for a long, long time. Um, I met a woman two weeks ago who said, even if my life was in danger, I should have stayed in my country so I could die with my daughters because oh, wow. I haven't seen them. And um, you know, maybe I made a mistake by coming to the United States to save my life. I should have died there in Ethiopia because of the USCIS and the forced family separation that they are. Uh, and they also, USCIS uh, has put this category of torture survivors at the back of the line. And they just kept getting pushed back and back and back. And the only way they can get interviewed is if there's a medical emergency, like they're dying of cancer or they tried to commit suicide, or they can prove that someone tried to kill their family member back at home. So you can imagine someone thinking, oh, if I have a nervous breakdown and try to kill myself, maybe I'll get an asylum interview because they cannot get interviews. Mm -hmm. So we, that's the biggest campaign we have going on right now. Um, the other is we're also trying to get temporary protected status, TPS, for Eritreans. Again, our, we're working mostly with Africans, right. so the Ethiopians have temporary protected status, so do Cameroonians, and Eritreans do not. Uh, Eritrea is, has one of the most repressive uh, governments in the world, and it has the highest proportion of its citizens who were dying in the Mediterranean trying to escape. Uh, I've actually been to Eritrea, to Asmata, um, and of course I didn't see torture or any of those kinds of things when I was there, but I did remember when I was there that the owner of a hotel told me that right in front of his hotel, underground, there could be an underground prison where people were getting tortured only because they tried to leave the country. Wow. So we want to be sure that they get temporary protected status so they don't have to be worried. Um, and I'll just say one other thing about Eritrea is that right now there's a lot of Eritrean um, refugees in Sudan. And the Eritrean government has said, oh, you can come back to Eritrea. But we have heard reports on the ground, as soon as they went back to Eritrea, after escaping from the war in Sudan, they were arrested. 
So that's some of our advocacy efforts. And as the advocacy and outreach program manager at TASC, what are some of the key activities and strategies um, that you employ to educate policymakers about human rights policies and issues affecting uh, survivors of torture? Okay, so I talked a little bit about the activities. The way the program works is we talk to survivors directly and we ask them, what do you care the most about? So from around 2014 to 2018 or something, we focused on the human rights abuses in their countries, which is mostly, again, Ethiopia, Eritrea, Sudan, Cameroon, because that's what they wanted to talk about. So they had been activists in their countries, and they wanted to speak to people mostly on the foreign affairs committees. So we've had survivors. Um, I'll give you just one example. He testified before the Subcommittee on Africa in the Foreign Affairs Committee in the House of Representatives from Ethiopia. And um, he was a disabled man. Um, he had polio in a wheelchair. And because he did not promote the government's agenda, this is back in 2017, 18, um, he was taken to a forest and dumped in the forest with his wheelchair left to die. Wow. And the reason he survived is because he smokes. So you say, why did he survive because he smokes? Because he had matches and he lit a fire in the middle of the forest. So that caught attention from... That caught attention and that's how he was rescued wow. and then he made it to the United States. So, um, so uh, basically when we train them, we talk directly, we say, what do you want to talk about? What do you feel comfortable talking about? Um, many, most people will use their names, but um, some people can be photographed with their face. Other people uh, put their backs to the, to the camera because they don't want to be photographed because they're worried about the repercussions yeah. for their family. Yeah. So they just want to stay anonymous and just exactly. you know, try to stay as safe as possible. Exactly, but they, we still find ways for them to participate um, in our campaigns. Thank you, Andrea, for joining us on this episode of WC Connects, where we had the honor of speaking with you. We explore task comprehensive programs and initiatives that address the unique needs of survivors, ranging from advocacy and outreach to legal services and social services and survivor empowerment. Andrea's insights showcase the dedication and impact of task work in creating a brighter future for survivors. Through their advocacy efforts, TASC educates policymakers and the public, amplifies the survivor voice, and addresses the challenges faced by survivors seeking asylum. We'll be right back and we'll continue talking with Andrea Barron, Adv Advocacy and Outreach Program Manager at TASC. Washington English Center has 30 years of experience bringing together students from more than 100 countries. Our mission? to provide affordable English language instruction and workforce programs to adult immigrants using qualified volunteer teachers. Registration is open now for our summer term. We're offering in-person and online classes as well as one-on-one -on -one tutoring sessions. WEC is here to continue helping immigrants and refugees achieve their dreams and give them the best gift one can have, the freedom to speak. To register, visit us at www.washingtonenglish.org. 
We continue talking with Andrea. TAS comprehensive approach includes advocacy, legal and social services and survivor empowerment. How do these different components work together to provide holistic support support to survivors? So what we like to say is that all the services at TASC, all the workers are trauma-informed. So what does that mean? That means for me, even though I'm not a social worker, I'm not a therapist, um, I am very sensitive, not just me, but everyone at TASC, to how survivors could be, what we say, re-traumatized. And I'll give you a perfect example. We were in Congress um, at the end of June. We have what's called the annual June Survivors Week, mm. and that's organized around June 26th, which is International Day to Support Victims of Torture. So she was talking about, uh, she had been a very famous journalist in her country, and as a result, she was raped, because rape is used as a weapon of torture. Just like it's used as a weapon of war and a broad scale, it's used by repressive governments as a weapon of torture. And I noticed that she, in her first meeting, she was really very sad, upset, talking about it. So I said to her, don't, next meeting, don't talk at all about what happened to you, about the rape. Just talk about why you were tortured and then how she's missing her family. She's worried she will never get an interview by USCIS, um, how unfair the system is, and kind of just don't talk about that part. So that's what I did. Whereas if you're a journalist, for example, you know, you want to get as much information from people as you can. That's part of your job. But we're trauma-informed, and so it's more important to me to protect her than it is even to influence the policymakers. Mm-hmm. So that's how we're trauma-informed. And the same with the lawyers. Lawyers also, you need to get information because you need to make your case. But when they're interviewing um the clients, they might seek advice from the social services department because those same clients also might have gotten mental health counseling. Maybe the social workers knew a lot about them. So they might try to get a little bit of background about who this person is. What are the areas where they have to be very careful? You still need the information. You've got to make an asylum case, but you want to be very careful and sensitive to their concerns. So uh, that's how we all work holistically. you know, to support each other. All the different departments are supporting each other. Wow. So TASC works to address the asylum (coughs) backlog. We were kind of speaking about that earlier. And the challenges faced by survivors seeking asylum. How does the organization advocate for improved support and timely processing of asylum claims? Well, I explained a little bit about that. Mm -hmm. And right now, uh, what we're trying to do is we have a lot of support from sympathetic me- members of Congress. Um, and they are, they have heard from our survivors when we visited the offices. They're very sympathetic. The question is, does President Biden, maybe he'll listen to your podcast, does President Biden know how much these people are suffering because his administration has pushed them to the back of the line where they can never get an asylum interview? We don't think he does. So we had a demonstration in front of the White House, but he didn't come and see us, so I guess he still doesn't know. Um, But we want him to know, and we want everyone in this administration to know this category of people. There's 180,000 
people, not all of them are torture survivors, mm -hmm. waiting more than five years for their asylum interview. Wow. We have a lot of people who are waiting seven or eight years. They cannot get an interview. And so um, we are trying to get the Congress and to pressure USCIS. And let me just say, this is a bipartisan issue. This is not an issue about Democrats or Republicans. This has nothing to do with the border, one way or the other, nothing. This has to do with people who entered with a visa, and it's the punishment of these people has been implemented by the Trump administration, also by the Biden administration, and we want Democrats and Republicans to work together to get them interviews. In your experience, what are some of the unique challenges uh, faced by survivors of torture and how does TASC tailor its services and programs to meet their specific needs? Okay, so I talked quite a bit about advocacy. We yeah. also have um, the counseling I mentioned, mental health counseling mm -hmm. to help them. Yes. We also have a career development program yeah. to help them get jobs. Basically, um, there's kind of two kinds of jobs. Mm -hmm. We call them survivor jobs. So I'll give you an example, a perfect example. We had a survivor who was from um, an area of Pakistan six, seven years ago, and he had been a psychiatrist in wow. his country, a very, very well-known. So mm -hmm. his first survivor job was being a barrister at Starbucks. So we went to Starbucks. He never told them that he was a psychiatrist or he was a doctor right. because he said, I said, why didn't you tell them? He goes, well, part of the job in Starbucks is you have to mop the floor. And if I, they knew I was a doctor, maybe they'd think, oh, he won't walk the floor. He's not going to mop the floor, so we're not going to hire him. And then he wouldn't have a job. Right. And after he already got asylum, he kept working weekends at that Starbucks because they were so good to him. Mm -hmm. That's a good story. Right. So a lot of survivor jobs, a lot of people work in parks. So you'll have somebody who had been a lawyer, someone who had been a medical doctor, someone who had been owned a business working in a parking business. Mm -hmm. We have somebody who owned five small businesses in his country working in the parking garage. So a lot of our survivors, that's their niche, yeah. parking garage. Mm -hmm. So those are survivor jobs. And then um, they eventually, we hope, some of them are able to transition into some kind of professional job. It's easier for people who are in the medical field mm -hmm. to transition from being a nurse in their country to being a nurse's aide and then a licensed practical nurse and then a registered nurse. But other people, you know, if you owned a business in your country, it's going to be very hard for you to become another business owner here, and you might end up working in Target or you work in Safeway. Mm -hmm. So those are the challenges. Um, but they are incredibly Res, uh, resilient people, and they move forward. Yes. But that that's a big challenge. Yes. And of course, here the process is different, especially you have to like relearn everything yeah. because everything is just different here. Then it comes to laws and things like that. So it's complicated. I don't know anybody <laughs> who was a lawyer in their country who became a lawyer here. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's easier when you're in the health field to, mm -hmm. you know, continue in that field. Yes. We'll be right back and we'll continue talking with Andrea Barron, Advocacy and Outreach Program Manager at TASC. Become a volunteer. Join Washington English Center's incredible team of volunteers to make a difference in someone else's life as well as your own. We offer both in-person and online volunteer opportunities. You can register to volunteer on our website, www.washingtonenglish.org, to learn more. 
The survivor voice is a powerful tool in the fight against torture. How do you ensure that survivors feel empowered and safe when sharing their stories publicly, particularly when some of them may have faced persecution for speaking out in their home countries? So I mentioned a little bit about that already, how we do that, and the perfect example was photographs. So, for example, um, during June Survivors Week, After survivors uh, have their meeting in the congressional office, we take photos Mm -hmm. outside the congressional member's office with the aid. Once in a while, we get to see the actual member. Um, So there's all different kinds of photographs. Those photographs are very important for their asylum application. So sometimes we'll take a photograph of the survivor with the aid um, and the name of the member of Congress, and that photograph will only go for them and for their asylum application, nowhere else. We have other survivors that are willing to get photographed, and that's what we can put on our Facebook page, that's what we can spread around and share. We don't have that many who will show their face, say their name, um, talk about their experience because they're worried about family members. But we do, yes, yes, but we do have some. I'll just give you one example. The direct services we provide are only in the Washington, D.C. area, Maryland, Virginia, and D.C., but the advocacy training that I do is nationwide. California, New York, Chicago, everywhere in the country. Um, and you travel to those places? No. It's like an online thing? We did it during the pandemic. Oh, wow. So that <laughs> actually was an incredible opportunity mm-hmm. because everyone was using Zoom. I never used it before. And we had all these meetings, and I met all these people all over the country who were in the same situation. And we set up congressional meetings. And, and now we're continuing. So we have one, you know, for someone from New York coming up pretty soon. Um, and again, those are private meetings and we protect people's privacy. Um, and we've had, you know, I, I think because the survivors know that TASS puts their safety above everything, they're not worried that we're going to expose them. You know, for example, we have a video right now that one of our survivors actually made. He was a filmmaker in his country. And it's a fabulous video, but we can't use it until we figure out how to blur the faces of a few survivors. And they don't even need to tell me to do it. I know, because it's so important to protect them, because that's what we're all about, is protecting them. And lastly, on a personal level, what inspires and motivates you to work in the field of of human rights? advocacy, particularly in supporting survivors of torture? Like, how do you stay resilient and hopeful in the face of challenging circumstances? Well, what I really like about this job is I get to work on policy issues and I also know the survivors. So it's not like I'm sitting in an office and then I travel to Ethiopia once a year. I get to know them on a regular basis. And a lot of times they're going to be so grateful to us. And I'm saying, I'm not taking any risks by speaking out for now <laughs> against <laughs> against our government. Um, nothing's going to happen to me or anyone in my family. And I'm not going to lose my job. And they took enormous risks, and most of them chose to do that. And so I'm actually inspired by them, mm-hmm. by their commitment. And a lot of them, even after they got asylum, they continue working with us because they care about other people. And when they go to Congress, I'll conclude with this, when they go to Congress, besides the asylum backlog, when they talk about human rights abuses, 
They want to prevent other people from being tortured. It's never only about them. Right. It's reaching out and caring about other people preventing torture in their countries. So they inspire me. Yeah. And it's nice to know that they also want to help others too, you know. That's nice. Thank you for joining us on this episode of WEC Connects, where we have explored the crucial work of task in ending torture and supporting survivors. We had the privilege of hearing from Andrea Barron, the Advocacy and Outreach Program Manager at TASC, who shared valuable insights into TASC programs, advocacy efforts, and the unique challenges faced by survivors of torture. Andrea's dedication and expertise have provided us with a deeper understanding of the organization's mission. The stories and experiences shared during this episode remind us of the urgent need to stand against torture and support survivors on their healing journey. By amplifying the voices of survivors, advocating for policy changes, and promoting public awareness, we can contribute to building a more compassionate and just world. We extend our heartfelt appreciation to Andrea Barron and TASC for their unwavering commitment to this important cause. Together, let us continue to support survivors, work towards a torture-free world, and uphold the principles of human dignity and human rights. This podcast is created by WEC, produced by Sarah Davila and Alejandro Rizzo. See you next time.